Okay, welcome back everybody. It is podcast episode 20. Oh my goodness, we've reached episode 20. There's only one left this year as well. Gosh, that's a bit scary, isn't it? And we have guests in this penultimate episode. We have two lovely guests. They are colleagues, they are friends, they are educational leaders, they are women, all of the good things. All of the <laughs> we have with us Dr. Julia Jenkins and Rian Davis-Jones. Welcome. Thank you very much. And I think what we'll probably start off by doing is just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, I've said who you are, but what do you do? Rian, do you want to take the lead? First of all, you forgot my title, Dame. Oh, Dame. Dame. I do apologise. I do apologise. I'm going to be sat next to Dr. Julia Jenkins. I also need a title, I feel. Of course. Um, We, Julia and I, my esteemed colleague, work for Teach First Cymru, training our brilliant participants, uh, trainees on the PGDE programme here in Wales. I should say we've got quite a lot of Teach First listeners, actually, thanks to your tireless promotion of our podcast. So thank you for that. Yeah, we, we've shouted out to quite a few of them as well. So, you know, another kind of kudos to our lovely Teach First participants. Uh, we do bribery as well as to any kind of thing that you actually want there. So, you know, if you, if you want to feel more in there, we, we can do any kind of bribery you like. And um, we, as we like to do with our lovely guests, is we we have a deep discussion with you and we're going to be talking all about practice today, but we also set you some homework. So we'll come to the homework later on in true, true educational fashion. So I had a little conversation with our lovely Dame Rianne a little bit earlier on this week and I asked her just a couple of things just so I could plan some of my questions and Weirdly, my first question is, we want to know what practice is, but the first question I want to ask is, what practice is not? Very good question. Practice is not acting. And I think it's really important to say that because I think when you start working with somebody and start using practice as a developmental tool for teacher training, quite often the reaction is, you're going to ask me to act something out or I'm going to be expected to improvise or make it up on the spot and then you're going to judge me on my performance. And none of those things are true about practice. So practice isn't high stakes, it isn't improvisation and and it isn't acting. What it is, is definitely low stakes. So practicing with a colleague, with um, a mentor, with your tutor, should be low stakes because that should be an incredibly supportive environment to be in in the first place. It is scripted so you always know what you're going to say because you've thought about it beforehand and you've put time and attention into thinking about what you're going to say and how you're going to say it and why you're going to say it and it's not improvisation. You're not thinking on the spot and you're not getting judged on your performance and I feel really strongly about that. I am also a drama teacher and there's a very different feeling in a rehearsal room than there is to practising in a classroom with a teacher. If I'm directing a production and I'm watching somebody create a character and, and act something out, well, yes, I am going to be judging their performance skills because that's what I'm there to do. That moment has been constructed for that purpose. But if I am working with a teacher... I am not judging their performance. I'm, I'm trying to help them be better at something which is really going to impact on their practice in the classroom. Mm-hmm. So to give an example, 
practicing um, threshold. So that's the Doug Lamov TLAC technique of getting the children into the classroom. Practicing threshold with me should not be high stakes. It should be a really low stakes environment where we work on the nuances of how you effectively get the children into the classroom. Doing that on your own with your nine on a Friday period six might actually be quite high stakes if you haven't had the chance to practice it and if it's not working for you. Mm. So I think keeping that in mind all the time when you practice is really important. This is not a judgment of you as a performer. This is about professionals working together to make something better through creating a really good mental model. So I'm going to revel in my role here as the only person in the room who doesn't work on the Teach First programme. So here I am channeling the listener who perhaps is not a Teach First person. Um, We've got practice, which we've defined here. So am I right in thinking here? Practice is actually doing bits of lessons as a rehearsal without the pupils there first in front of somebody? Yes and and no. So it could come out of um, a piece of feedback, for example. So you could be discussing something from a lesson observation and you could pick up on, let's say, um, a set of instructions didn't land very well. There's an opportunity there to practice that moment, to refine it, to, to get it right, so that when you return to the classroom and you need to give your next set of instructions you are better at it. We don't use it necessarily as, as, a, as a precursor to lessons. We practiced lots in Summer Institute when we were training the trainees before they went into classrooms. So we did do a lot of pre-practice. Mm. But within our work now, it is mostly post-observation that we look at something that we'd like to refine and revisit it and practice it so that it's better the next time you meet that situation in real life Mm. does that make sense it does yeah and also for the non-teach first people and there was a book mentioned there in in passing doug lemov's book um teach like a champion henceforth to be known as tlac in which i gather he kind of takes a lot of things that perhaps we don't have standard names for just standard teacher things that we do and gives them a name that then i guess we all recognize so threshold i know from my conversations with emma is just this idea that you meet and greet people outside the classroom which i'm sure you know all teachers do but maybe we didn't have a name for it up to that point so we'll we'll be hearing a lot of these kind of standardized names and if you haven't come across teach like a champion otherwise known as tlac might be worth a look agreed Mm. okay um and i just kind of want to go back in your journey to realizing for yourselves that practice was something that was going to be instrumental in a novice teacher's journey towards a fully qualified teacher status so tell us what influenced your decision to use this as a strategy teach first as an organization are very committed to practice and I I think we would say that it it demonstrates this an incredible, powerful lever for progression for teachers. So it's part of our curriculum, if you like. And as PDLs, um, so that's participant development leads on the programme, we are charged with using practice as part of our feedback. So in the first instance, I suppose it wasn't us that chose to bring practice into the model, but as part of the PGDE and, and the um, the leadership development programme, which our trainees are on, practice forms an inherent part of the feedback model. Mm. So I think if I can ident- if I if I can think of one moment where I knew it, it was really important, it was probably this summer institute that we just did with our 2018 cohort. Mm. And there was a moment where 
we'd had training on practice and we'd done about three or four sessions after um, after school and we came in the next day and the trainees were um, preparing for the lessons that day and I looked outside we were at Fitzalan Comprehensive School and I looked outside through the windows and there were about eight or nine people practicing on the grass outside wow peer to peer running the explanations in the lessons Mm. running the intro practicing threshold Mm. and it was just that moment I thought this works because they're getting a huge amount out of that and their confidence levels just went through the roof Mm. you know we've already practiced this we feel really confident about going into the room and doing it Mm. and that was the moment for me that I realized it was really powerful Mm. I think it's the flip excuse me I think it's the flip over between being proactive and reactive because, for example, uh, if you're in the middle of a lesson, as, as Rihanna said, and you are the person in the room and something happens. So, for example, the classic, you've asked a child to take their coat off, they've refused to do it. You are in that position of, I need to make a decision here and then. So it, it can become quite firefighting. And sometimes you can take a route that later on, when you reflect on it, it was the incorrect route. Where practice would come into place then, there's two styles of practice or deliberate practice that if you read the literature, it talks about decomposition and it talks about approximation. An approximation would be, for example, if Rian or myself had been in the lesson and observed that interaction with the pupil, after the lesson, what we might do is do a practice around approximation to say, okay, if that happened again, now what would we do? So it becomes a way of actually giving a more proactive response in future so that someone has something to go to rather than it being a reactive firefighting situation. And presumably because they've practised it, they've got it committed to their long-term memory and resources so they can call it into action. Absolutely, and it is far less reactive and it's far less a snap judgement being made at that particular point and it tends to be more considered and it tends to be the better response. Mm -hmm. And that's where the mental model comes into place because they're building the mental model through the practice. And I think... One of the challenges you face as a, as a new teacher, and I certainly remember many years ago facing this challenge myself, you, you don't have a catalogue of instances to draw on. So you can't say to yourself, what did I do the last time this happened? Because at that moment, there are no last times because that's the first time it's happening to you. Mm -hmm. And so if you can practice something in that way, then then suddenly you have got a a go to Mm. and you've practiced it and you know what it should sound like. One of the things that trainee teachers used to say to me in my school in London was, I don't have the words. I listen to you and you have the words when you speak to the children. Mm. I don't have the words Mm. and I need help finding the words and I think practice really helps with that because it it allows you to find those words in a really safe space and it goes back to the low stakes environment Mm. point that I made at the beginning and I guess the follow-up question I'd have for that is that we potentially have a ready-made very eager audience when we have undergraduates who are coming to start our programs with us who as you say don't have these mental models but then we do have some who have classroom experience we have TAs we can have a range of, of student teachers or participants who bring a lot of observational experience at least to what they're doing so how might you navigate your way through a situation with someone who, who is reluctant to practice or who needs to be convinced that practice is going to work? How, how might you approach someone like that? I, I think it's probably the proactive approach that Julia Absolutely. was talking about. So 
you would then use practice to refine and hone something. So if you look at um, the the practice curriculum that we use in Teach First is based on the five principles of deliberate practice from the Deans for Impact. And part of the, the five principles are to push beyond your comfort zone and to work on very specific goals. So I think you would position practice in that moment as a tool to improve performance and as a tool to improve progress for the children. Um, and I think as soon as you as soon as you've done that, people are pretty convinced and it happens quite quickly that they can see change happening in the moment. Mm. So it's not just a tool to fix things. It can also be a tool to explore how to just be better at something. Mm. And I think the teachers we work with want to be better Mm. and, you know, want to push beyond what they're doing. So they see that as a real opportunity to, okay, I'm going to refine this Mm -hmm. and this is a way I can do it. Okay. I think it's because we use it in an authentic context because there is an identified need and the way that we use it is because we use it off the back of feedback where we've done a lesson observation, there's that authentic need that something has happened and I, something has happened that we've been able to identify and distill down at a specific moment within that lesson that we can then do something about. But what we don't do is just practice it and then say, okay, have a go whenever you need. What we make sure is that there is direct follow-up, that there is a specific time frame, that we want someone in a very short time to practice this further in a live setting and then report back to us. So it isn't just left up in the air. So we do have that continual feedback loop. Something that I'm curious about with this is... um Certainly, I love this idea that we can, in the early stages of a teacher's development, we can reduce the number of difficult decisions that they have to make. Because you're right, the number of decisions coming at you in the classroom in in an hour, it's quite scary to think about it. And and as you say, they get easier uh, the more experience you have. And something that my student teachers always crave is some straight answers to some straight questions. And I probably annoy them by not giving them enough. I have seen, um, I have known student teachers who, if you give them a sort of, right, that that was the situation there, that was the decision you needed to make at that point, they're going to make that decision every time they see something that looks vaguely like that. So how do you combat that tendency that once they've received a straight answer to a straight question, it becomes the answer to quite a lot of other questions? I think it's the the authenticity of the practice is really important. So when you practice, ideally you'd be in the room. You would be you'd be doing it in, you know, you'd be in your teaching space. It's a private space, so you're not practicing in front of other people. And I think when you've practiced something, I think what happens is in my experience is it doesn't become a blueprint for everything. It just becomes a moment in time where you realize you maybe took the wrong direction and this was another way you could have dealt with the situation. Does that make sense? Mm. So it's not it's not the end. It's it's more of a sort of door opening, if you like, to, oh, so I could be different next time. So I, I might choose to do something differently next time. And I think the authenticity is really important because what you're not asking someone to do is to learn a script you've written for them. So when you script the practice with your trainee, you're not saying, say this. You're not sort of blocking them and directing them. You're, you're asking them for their input. So what do you think? How would that look? What would that sound like? Because it has to be authentic, doesn't it? I was thinking, so you, you reach a decision point. Do you ever ask them to practice it a number of different ways? Yes, yes. absolutely. That's the key. Yeah. And that's what we call an at-bat 
I think that's a yeah. I think it's a baseball analogy. There's probably people like rolling their eyes now, going, "She knows nothing." Um, Which may certainly not in this room. Which may or may not be true. Yeah. So the at bats are really important. So when you're practicing. It's not, we're going to do this once and then we're going to go, excellent, tick to box. We practice that. Well done. If something isn't right in the, in the practice, you, you go at it again and, and again and again, if necessary, until you refine it and get it right. And that might be to do with the right tone of voice. It might be to do with changing the body language. It, if, if you're practicing something written, it could be that you've asked somebody to go and re, reconfigure a set of questions. They come back and they're still not quite right. There's still some elements you know missing. So they go away and practice that again. And I think that's the, that's a really important point about practice as well, is that it's the opportunity to to keep revisiting something until we get it right and we're not afraid to say that might not happen first time round. And is there a right? I know that's a bit of a provocative question, yeah. but there's probably a right for that moment and for that trainee, but there might not be a right. Not a right permanently. And yes. I think that's yeah. what we do. Yeah. Is as part, knowing your trainee, you know what their next steps are. So it might be in a very novice, very early setting that mm. with a specific scenario that that person has just faced, mm. you've given them a technique to handle it. If they meet that same scenario next time, you know as you've made progress in terms of their next steps, mm. that the next time you're going to do part of that practice, the at-bat you are going to make clear to that trainee, we are now going to change the scenario. What would you do if X happened this time instead of Y? Mm-hmm. So it gets them to practice, again, within that safe space, mm-hmm. but in a number of different ways. So it does give them a number of different routes. So what we're not saying is, every time, exactly as Tom said, every time this happens, you follow this rule and this this is the outcome. You turn the handle and this is the outcome. Yeah, and I, I guess as well, what I, I would want to know is how, how we temper that as the student teacher moves through their initial teacher education year and then into NQT year. What is, what is the legacy of practice? For a start off, they won't have you forever. They won't have us forever. So do you foresee practice as being something that evolves into a broader sort of independent developmental process is there anything that goes hand in hand with it that makes it have longevity I think it can do I think when you first start as a novice I think you need that face-to-face bouncing ideas off someone else to test things out I mean we've all been in the situation that until you actually say something out loud you don't realize how outlandish it was it sounded fine in your head and until you said it you realize how stupid it was probably as I'm coming over now but <laughs> in no. terms of as people pre- people progress and they become more expert, I think what you start to do in terms of your self-regulation and your metacognition is you have those internal conversations. So I think that can be an element of practice further down the line that you practice those scenarios over and over in your head so that you do have more of a toolkit of approaches that you can take should X, Y and Z happen within the lesson. So I think it can evolve in that way. And I think as as the trainee progresses and becomes more experienced, the practice probably becomes more nuanced. So it does go towards setting those really specific goals with very, very explicit success criteria Mm -hmm. and working on very, very distinct elements of pedagogy. But actually, it can be used for other things as well. You know, practice can also be used, for example, for something like a leadership conversation. A trainee might come and say to you, I would like to have this conversation with my head of department, with a member of SLT. I'm not really sure how to go about it. 
I'd like to run it through with you. Or um, I've had practices with um, trainees for parents evening, for example. Mm -hmm. So um, I can think of a really distinct conversation I had with um, one of our brilliant trainees who knew that there was going to be a difficult conversation at a parents evening and wanted to run that conversation with me. A, to get my feedback on the choice of words and B, to see if there was any other approaches they could take to that to that conversation mm. in that safe space in that low stake space mm. so I was in in the position of the parent and they were in the position of themselves and we ran that conversation and we ran it really authentically mm. and I think that's the other thing is if you you've got to be all in with practice this is what we say to the trainees Absolutely. in summer institute you've got to come all in there's no way you can stand on the sidelines and dip your toe in and say well I'll do a little bit of it you have to commit to it because when you commit to it, it works. And can I ask, what what do you gain from it and how do you feel that your practice has evolved by being the facilitator of practice? I think it's just a really... I, I, do, I find when we practice with the, with the trainees, the conversation is so rich. The conversation that comes out of the initial practice is often so interesting and you start to pick up on other things and you start to nudge other things then. So we we would always say that the practice from the lesson observation needs to be the highest leverage action point. So what's going to make the most difference to that trainee? There could be five or six things you've picked up on that you'd like to talk about that, you know, you'd like to question and probe. But what's the one thing that's really going to help that trainee be more successful in the next in next lesson, next week, next month? But what I find, and I don't know if you agree with this, Julia, that when you start the practice of that one thing, it, it's almost like a domino effect Absolutely. and it nudges something else and, and sort of you start to make that schema in your head of, oh, I understand how this could affect this and this and this and this. Mm -hmm. And it's not just this isolated moment that I'm practicing. Actually, it's my whole, you know, it's my whole approach to whatever I'm doing. And subsequent to that, and I think that's that's really interesting about how it it, it engages you in that rich dialogue with um, a student teacher, because it kind of infers that you're learning from them through that conversation as well. But um, towards the end of that, do they then start to identify the bits that they want to practice? So is it, is it, do they move to a plane where they go, I know, I, I know what it is that I need to do to develop? I'm not on, I'll be honest, I'm not sure they always leap up and say, I want to practice. Would you agree? No, I, I completely agree with that. And they're probably laughing listening to this now. Um, <laughs> but that's the truth of it, you know, May, maybe sometimes it's, it's again, if you go back to the, the first principle of the five principles of, of deliberate practice is push beyond your boundaries. So sometimes you probably at the end of a lesson observation would just like to be told what to do better next time. But that is not going to help you get better as quick as doing a really high quality practice would help you get better. And I think in answer to the other bit of your question is sometimes doing a practice, they will actually stop themselves and say, that wasn't right. And I could feel that. And I need to do that again. And, and that's when I think, ah, right, you've got this now because you're self-editing. And do they ever do that in the moment when they're teaching? Yes, I, I have seen that. Have potential yeah. to create a culture where teachers could, in the moment, say, "Sorry, Year Seven, I'm not happy with that explanation. I'm just going to go back to my absolutely. notes." And I've absolutely, I've seen that, and I think it actually fits in quite well with some of the theory that we've done in terms of thinking of reflection in on on action and in, in action, action. Mm. and getting 
the the, t- the trainees to actually appreciate the difference with that. But absolutely, I've seen that happen in the moment where somebody has actually backtracked and said, OK, going to stop there. Let's try that again. And I think that takes real courage to do that. And I think it probably is as a spin off from the practice sessions that we've done that risk taking and trying things out and getting it wrong and the at bat having another go is a good thing because what it's doing is is modeling for the child of risk taking is a good thing let's try this guys absolutely and it's nice to hear that actually because it, it almost tempers that maybe slight undercurrent that we have to reach perfection and we have to always be absolutely on our game and if we don't practice then we're not going to be absolutely perfect in the moment Mm -hmm. so I like the notion that actually we're always trying to get better we don't always get it absolutely right first time absolutely and there is no such thing as a perfect lesson no no (laughs) and and if we we've just come out with the ministerial uh, talk with with Kirsty Williams this morning and we've been talking about the the new curriculum and um, the four purposes and if you think about the first purpose ambitious capable learners you should that should apply to us as well as members of staff so let's be ambitious in how we take and receive and process feedback Mm -hmm. let's Let's, let's try new things so, so that actually we can all get better at this brilliant job that we do because there are more ways than one of 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 using feedback to to improve practice and th- this and oh we're going to get really met in a practice practice practice, practice. but <laughs> th- this is one of the ways i think really well we think really works and if anybody wanted to read up more into this uh, I know we have teacher educators who listen to this podcast where might they go to get some more information or to read read up on it okay I think one of the best papers that you can actually google is deans for impact practice with purpose the emerging science of teacher expertise what that does is it outlines really succinctly if I can get my words out as well as in really good clarity, the five principles of deliberate practice that Rian's mentioned. And one of the other things that I'd say to Google and to look out for is not just necessarily typing in randomly the word practice, but typing in the word deliberate practice. And you'll find that there's quite lots of links there with direct instruction, Rose and Shine's principles, and so on as well. All of these things are along the same lines where we ask students in lessons that we want them to do some deliberate practice in order to embed into long-term memory and commit to long-term memory the concepts or the skills that we've actually been teaching them at the time these are the same things that we're talking about so what we're doing with modeling with our trainee teachers as part of their pedagogy is what we want to see those same trainees do in the classroom with their students we practice what we preach Mm, absolutely and i think where tlac comes in to, to sort of support um tom's question about it is that tlac is a really good collection of techniques that have been named so it's really useful that you you then have a language so when you're practicing threshold you're talking about exactly the same thing when you're practicing brightening the lines which is um, to do with transitions in lessons you know exactly what you're talking about so I think that it's really useful to have a definition and a common language because that helps you to set really good success criteria that's very explicit. Okay, that was a really interesting discussion. Let's move on to our 
regular slots, the first of which is traditionally the well-being slot. Who's got a well-being slot for us today? Dame Rianne. Oh, yes. I'm really hoping this is going to stick if, if people on the honours lists are listening. Um, so, uh, which I'm sure they will be, actually. This is very high-quality broadcasting. Who does listen to that? Is it who makes the ultimate choice? I don't know, queen? but I'm going to find out. Um, it's not me. It's a shame, Tom. So, yes, my well-being slot is is this. Um, it's not very sort of uh, exciting, but it really works for me. When I arrive home from work, um, I've got uh, two children, um, a little girl and a little boy. And um, I know that as soon as I open the front door, I am straight into mum mode. And, you know, the, the next part of my day absolutely crashes uh, into being. And I find sometimes that I, I just need uh, five minutes in the car. So when I pull up outside the house and Emma can will attest to this because we are often on the phone. <laughs> I can. Yeah, I have stopped and have parked, by the way. Uh, so it's all perfectly legal. Um, <laughs> so I pull up outside the house and I always have five minutes in the car before I go in. And that might seem really odd, but I, I just need those five minutes to, to put a stop to one part of the day before I launch into the next part of the day. And I just find it really helps me draw a line. And I've been doing it now for a long, long time. I used to do it when I came home from school as well. And I just sit in the car for five minutes and it probably looks a bit odd, but it really works for me. And I would really encourage people to find that space. If it's if you're on public transport, you know, or if you're if you can get off a stop earlier and walk home for five minutes or I don't know, just find find five minutes of complete and utter space where you're not in one you're not, you know, in one space or another. Mm. You're not being one person or another. Because I think whether you have children or not, we all have that, don't we? We all have to go home and do something else. So I think finding that gap between one thing starting and, and one thing ending is really important. We need to brighten the lines between our transition Absolutely. from Absolutely. teacher but to mum. Exactly. Like or dog mum, yeah. in you yeah. and my case. And I practice that every time I pull up outside the house. <laughs> Okay, thank you very much for that. We would like you to shout out. And I think you're going to shout out to a collective rather than individual. I think so. I think I'll start off with the first shout out. The first shout out for us is to Impact Wales because we find them, their sketch notes, their blogs, their information. If you don't follow them, if you've not looked them up, please look on Twitter, please look on the website. They are a mine of information but not only information in terms of in a transmissive sense, it's to get you to think. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they've literally just posted, especially along the lines of, as Rian's alluded to, uh, this week's uh, release of the, um, the curriculum for consultation, is that they've come out and they've actually said the whole being of Impact Wales is to get people to think and to question and to talk and to discuss. So what they don't do is to give outright, how can I put it? I think you, you said, um, is there a direct way? Is there a direct answer? Is there a best way? What Impact Wales do is they ask, they give out ideas, they throw ideas out there and they ask people to think about them and to see what sticks. They don't take a stance? Absolutely. Mm. And I think that's the clear thing with it. What we find incredibly useful are the little sketch notes yes. that they produce because they they really are very useful, especially when we go into school to talk with our trainees. 
they can become such a rich starting point, especially for ideas in terms of techniques in the classroom Mm. or even in terms of conceptual development of what do we mean by teaching? What do we mean? What are we trying to to develop within our pedagogy? They can be an incredibly good and rich starting point for us. So for us, Impact Wales, they are our heroes. We love them to bits and we intend to keep using them and keep shouting out as much as we possibly can about them. Lovely. So it's kind of a, a shout out and a something to try all Absolutely. in one. Very nice. Okay. And our final slot. Is this a something to try or is it an official shout out? I think it'd be a shout out. Oh, it's a shout, shout out. out. We're going to shout out to our whole cohort, hashtag Team Camry 2017 and hashtag Team Camry 2018. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter under those hashtags. We just want to uh, say that we are really privileged to work with a group of people who have great intellect, great vision, great determination and great heart and They are fully invested in the education system. They are getting up every day and trying to make a difference to every single person that they work with. And we're really, really proud of them. And we really enjoy working with them. And we just want to tell them that. Lovely. Thank you very much for that. And I'm sure they will thoroughly appreciate it too. And as someone who has also worked with them, I would like to reiterate all of Dame Rianne Davis-Jones' <laughs> sentiments. It's definitely sticking. It is. And I suppose go. really the I whole episode... <laughs> And I suppose really the whole episode is a massive something to try, isn't it? So go out and try some practice. I'm going to try it. I agree. Diochen Varian, ladies. Thank you very much. And we'll be back for one more episode this year. uh, And we will look forward to that. See you again soon. See you soon. Bye. That was Emma and Tom's PGCE podcast presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. The special guests this episode were Dr Julia Jenkins and myself, Rian Davis-Jones from Teach First Cymru, Damehood pending for the time being. For more about the strategies discussed in this episode, check out Teach Like a Champion by Doug Lamov and Deans for Impact, Practice with Purpose, available at deansforimpact.org. This episode was also brought to you by Impact Wales. Check out their ideas and sketch notes on Twitter at Impact Wales. Thanks to the wonderful Teach First Cymru participants who are making a difference in schools all over Wales. Keep it up. There's another paragraph. (laughs) (laughs) We are all off to practice our podcasting skills so we can make better decisions next episode. Until the next episode, take care and enjoy teaching. And that wouldn't have happened had he let me practice. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Brilliant. Oh, brilliant. Oh, ladies. That was lovely. Thank you. Absolutely.